Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. It's the Indians 7, the Minnesota Twins 4. The Cleveland Indians are on a three-game win streak. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And shout out to you listeners. We got another five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's just that easy. An anonymous one this time. No review left, but they did click five stars. It takes a second. Go ahead and do it. Let's jump this show up the baseball rankings. We were ranked at one point like the 170th baseball podcast out there. So, uh, yeah, it is possible. Uh, We can make this thing grow. And I appreciate it. Whoever took the time to click five stars, I appreciate you. All right, let's get into the game last night. Let's get into the storylines. And the storyline number one is that this was a real, honest to God, back and forth baseball game, right? This didn't feel like, you know, one of those slugs where you got to sit through, you know, seven innings of nothing before someone finally hits a two run home run and that's the whole game. Didn't feel like one of those games where we score three runs in the first inning and then nothing happens the rest of the game. This was an honest-to-God, back-and-forth baseball game where they were taking turns scoring against each other, taking their shots against each other, and the Indians came out on top. So let's get into it. I mean, they start off right away in the first inning. They put up two runs on Aaron Savali, and uh, yeah, it did not... That was a little unexpected. We kind of thought Savali would settle into a groove and have a pretty good day against them, and he eventually does. But in this first inning, uh, Byron Buxton gets on with two outs, and uh, I believe it was a chopper to Jimenez at short that Buxton just legged out. And we'll talk about Buxton in a second. We'll get into him in more detail. But yeah, he just legs out, and then Nelson Cruz hits a really good curveball away, probably a pitch that gets most hitters out. Nelson Cruz has enough power to put it in the right field corner, and I'm sorry, but Josh Naylor just looked awful chasing this ball in the corner. He crashes into the wall. The ball crashes into the wall. The ball gets past him. You really got two choices in outfielder. If you can catch it, go catch it. Otherwise, you got to play that thing off the wall and hold Nelson Cruz to a double. It would turn out to be costly, because Alex Kirilov would single on a sharp line drive over Eddie Rosario's head, which would bring in Cruz in the final run. Now, that one's going to score him from second probably anyways, and Cruz and um, Rosario does throw Kirilov out at second base. We were just talking about Eddie Rosario trying to throw guys out at home and how it just wasn't working yet on the season, and then he guns out Kirilov at second base with a really strong throw from the wall. So, the arm's there. The, the arm is there. He'll get someone at the plate eventually. It's hard from left field as opposed to right field. Um, so, yeah. So, Nelson Cruz, this uh, triple in the corner proves really costly in the first inning for the Indians. And let's be honest. We all know that Josh Naylor belongs at first base. We all know that's eventually where he's going to end up. He's serviceable out there in right field. In fact, I think he made a sliding catch or a diving catch later in the game. I'm not sure. I was listening to the radio at that point. And, yeah, he'll do some okay things in the outfield, but he'll do some really ugly things. And it'd be much better at first base, where he's not having to chase balls to the warning track, to the wall. It was not pretty. Uh, 
But the Indians answer back. First inning, Jose Ramirez gets to show out a little bit yesterday. The stars were really on display for both teams. Ramirez, Reyes for the Indians, uh, Buxton and Nelson Cruz for the Twins. Uh, So Jose Ramirez, he was down in the count. He was down in the count, uh, looks like one and two. And they had been giving him fastballs. Maida, who's got a great changeup, had been giving Jose Ramirez fastballs. Gets the first one for a called strike. Uh, They throw a slider way away. Another four-seam fastball for a called strike. He fouls the next one off. These are all in the strike zone. All four of these fastballs are in the strike zone. Then he throws him a strike zone, middle of the plate, down at the knees, and Jose Ramirez turns on it. I mean, the bat speed was unbelievable. I can tell you the exit velocity was 108.6. 411-foot home run. He put it above the seats in right field. He hit it to the top of the section. So there's a drink rail at the top of the section. That's about where this ball landed. That is smoked. What is Maeda doing throwing Jose Ramirez all these fastballs? Let's see what he does the next time Jose Ramirez comes up. Yeah, change up, change up. Eventually throws him a slider that he doubles on. A slider that comes back to the plate. Didn't throw him a fastball. Kind of learned his lesson there in that first at bat. All right, let's get back into it because the scoring doesn't stop. The Indians come back in the second inning. This time, it's Fermil Reyes' turn. This time, Fermil Reyes gets what I believe was a hanging curveball. Oh, no, a slider. Sorry, not a curveball, a slider. First pitch, a hanging slider. He hits it 111.3 miles per hour, 452-foot home run. He will hit the scoreboard one day. Fermil Reyes absolutely will hit the scoreboard one day at Progressive Field. This one came up about 10 rows short of the scoreboard. Just a monster, no doubt about it, home run. And uh, yeah, now we're all tied up. Like I said, this game's going back and forth. Third inning, Jose Ramirez, that double actually scores Cesar Hernandez. So the Indians take the lead. Three innings in a row we have now scored it. And we've done it with home runs. And now we've done it with a little bit of a rally here to score uh, the third run and take the lead. Back and forth. This is beautiful. Fourth inning, uh, Willens Astadio singles up the middle, brings in Nelson Cruz. Uh, It was a single into the gap. A faster runner probably turns that into a double, but Astadio is definitely not going to be known for his speed. That brings in Nelson Cruz, and we're tied 3-3. So, yeah, it was really a back and forth where just when you thought Maeda or... Savali was settling down. The other offense would get to him. The sixth inning is when the Indians really put things out of reach. And for Mio Reyes, homers again. This time, he gets a fastball for Maida, a fastball up also on the first pitch. Both of these home runs from Mio Reyes were on the first pitch. That's pretty cool. Uh, he is not messing around. This one also has 111.3 mile per hour exit velocity, only 434 feet, a little bit more of a line drive, but he does the damage, and then then we get back-to-back doubles. I mean, Maida was really in trouble here. When did Maida come out of this game? No, Maida gave up all these runs uh, in the sixth inning. Gives up a double to Josh Naylor, and then gives up a double to Jake Bowers. 
Jake Bowers, that's right. You don't throw lefties low pitches. Lefties can handle low pitches. He turns on one and hits one off the wall and brings in Josh Naylor to score. So now 5-3 felt like a pretty good lead. Uh, going into the seventh inning with our bullpen and the way it's been pitching felt like a pretty good lead, and we were right because the back and forth stops right here. The back and forth stops, and the Twins' bullpen absolutely implodes. They said they took Colome out of the closer role. They were going to give him less stressful innings or left, less high less high leverage innings. Well, they put him in in the eighth when they're down two runs, and he just implodes. He does strike out Reyes, but he hits Josh Naylor in the head in a really scary-looking pitch. Josh Naylor actually pops up. The batting helmet works. What can we say? Batting helmets work. He popped up, grabbed his helmet, ran to first base. He then walks Jake Bowers, strikes out Roberto Perez. Then Andres Jimenez walks. Uh, Cesar Hernandez walks. Jordan Luplo is hit by the pitch. And finally, Jose Ramirez strikes out to end the threat. So what happens is the Indians end up scoring two runs on no hits. No hits. They did not put a ball in play in the eighth inning and score two runs. At that point, the back and forth is over. At that point, the Twins' bullpen has officially imploded, and the Indians are running away with this thing. Uh, Al- Alcala came in after Colome and uh, ended up hitting. He was the one that hit Jordan Luplo, which brought in the second run, and then eventually strikes out Jose Ramirez to end the threat. But at that point, 7-4 felt like a really good lead, especially with Karinczak staying on to finish the game. He had struck out Nelson Cruz to end the eighth, uh, and then he stays in, gets Kirilov to line out, Ostadio to pop out, and strikes out Jake Cave to end it. So yeah, what was a really great back and forth by the end of eighth inning got a little bit out of hand. So that's your first storyline. Really fun baseball game last night. Second storyline, like I said, the stars were on display. Fermil Reyes' power is just off the charts right now, and man, does this guy love hitting at home. His splits, Hamilton was talking about it. I'm sure you know Manning and Underwood were talking about it too. His splits, home and away. At home, he's hitting 435 with a 1.437 OPS. On the road, in nine games, so that's 12 games at home, nine games on the road, he's hitting 125 with a 421 OPS. Six of his seven home runs have come at home. 14 of his 17 RBIs have come at home. His two triples, obviously, at home. Three of his four doubles have been at home. 20 hits at home as opposed to four on the road. My God, there's not another split on Fermil Reyes' stats here that is that drastic. Lefties versus righties, he's hitting righties 320, he's hitting lefties 286. The power is about the same. 962 OPS versus lefties, 1047 OPS versus righties. So yeah, it's not the uh, the left-right isn't hurting him. Uh, bases empty, he's hitting 311. Uh, runners in scoring position, he's hitting 316. So yeah, not no difference in splits there. Um, ahead in the count, he's hitting 300. Behind in the count, 269. Even that's not as drastic as his home and away splits are. So, I don't know. We'll see if the uh, 
if the home stats stay this hot, I mean, obviously that's amazing. He probably needs to pick it up a little bit on the road, but it's early. It's early. We'll see if these things even out a little bit as the season goes on. But right now for April, it's definitely fun to see that Fermil Reyes is destroying the baseball in progressive field. And good news is we've played more home games in April than away games. So that's been a positive for Fermil Reyes. The other star that I want to talk about, obviously Jose Ramirez is a star. We all know that. The other star I want to talk about is Byron Buxton. Because Buxton is putting it together for the first time maybe ever in his career. The former number one pick from the 2012 draft uh, a first-round pick, I'm sorry. He's number second overall, first-round pick, second overall of the 2012 draft. He's First off, he's never had a healthy season. The most games he's ever played was 2017. He played in 140. Even last year in the shortened season, he only played 39 games. He's never broken 100 games other than that 2017 season. You know, you don't want a guy to be hurt. And Buxton has really had some bad luck. But hopefully this year he can have a full season because you you don't want to you don't want guys to be hurt you want to beat them at their best and uh, man is he putting it together this year three eighty two batting average I ooh is this updated from yesterday is the question I don't know you know sometimes they don't do that on Baseball Reference no this is not he's up to seven home runs now so this is not updated from yesterday but he was hitting. 382 going into the game, 424 on base, 818 slugging, good for a 1.242 OPS, by far his best OPS of his career. By 2019, he's starting to figure things out when it comes to slugging and on base. He gets himself up to an 827 OPS. He's 844 last year. That's the first time in his career he had been over uh, an 800 OPS. This is a guy that just had all the promise, all the talent in the world, and just cannot stay healthy, cannot stay on the field. Going back to 2016, this is from Baseball Prospectus. They have him as the number one prospect in the twin system in 2016. They've got his tools, his future tools, as remember the 80-20 grading scale here. So 80 being the best, 20 being the worst. 80 speed, 70 arm, 70 glove, Now, we've seen that. We've seen the speed in the defense so far. 60 hit, 55 power. He's actually proving that power might be wrong. He might have developed some power now because he's up to seven home runs already in April. Like I said, he was slugging 818 going into it yesterday. His OPS is now 1.276, so his OPS has climbed. And uh, so has his batting average after yesterday. Up to 390. So... He's finally putting it all together and showing that promise when they took him with their number one pick. By the way, that draft, Carlos Correa goes first. Buxton goes second. Mike Zanino for the Mariners goes third. Kevin Gaussman, who you've probably heard of, goes fourth. And then all the way down at number 15, our friend Tyler Naquin. Friend of the sh- well, not friend of the show, but you know, a fan favorite on the show, Tyler Naquin. Who goes right after Tyler Naquin, 16th? Lucas Giolito. Who goes 18th to the Dodgers? Corey Seager. Oh, we had a chance. We had a chance at Corey Seager, and we whiffed on it. Ooh, that one hurts. I mean, we love Tyler Naquin, but if you sort this by war, 
Correa is number one for accumulated war at 27.9. Corey Seager is second at 18.3. You also have Marcus Stroman in this draft. Buxton comes in fourth, actually. With all those injuries, he actually comes in fourth on accumulated war. This was not a good draft. This is not... I'm going to run out of names you know really quickly here. Matt Olson uh, has the next most accumulated war with the Athletics. Kevin Gaussman, Mitch Hanniger, Addison Russell... Uh, Joey Gallo was in this draft. Steven Piscotti. Jose Barrios went in the supplemental round. All these guys are first-round picks. There's no guy from the fourth, fifth round that jumped up and has made an impact. Uh, you got uh, Michael Waka, Mike Zanino, Lance McCullers Jr., Max Fried was in this draft, Lucas Giolito, and Jesse Winker went uh, right well, he has just a little bit more accumulated war than Tyler Naquin. He was also in this draft. Kevin Plowecki, remember that name? The backup catcher? He was in this draft. He has a uh, just underneath uh, Tyler Naquin for accumulated war for his career. So, yeah, so that was the first round. These are all first-round picks in 2012, either first-round or first-round supplemental picks in 2012 who have accumulated war. Um Oh, I take that back. This is just looking at the first round. That's right. I am just looking at the first round here. So this in no way is reflective of the full class of 2012. This is just the first round. Sorry. I apologize for that. Um, Yeah. So some interesting names there in that first round. So that's Buxton, and he's finally putting it together, and the stars were on display yesterday. Final storyline, Aaron Savali. Both pitchers got hit hard, but Savali definitely held it together a little longer than Kenta Maeda did. Maeda only goes five and two-thirds. Savali goes seven and two-thirds. Goes almost through the eighth inning. And in fact, Hamilton is talking him up, literally talking up how Terry Francona trusts his players, trusts his pitchers, uses his gut sometimes, and Savali gives up the home run to Byron Buxton. I mean, in the middle of Hamilton's sentence. It couldn't have been worse timing for Hamilton, but... We got the point. We knew what he was trying to say. The final line for Savali is seven and two-thirds, eight hits, four earned runs, no walks, four strikeouts, and that one home run allowed. And let's be honest, if it were seven, if it were eight innings pitched, seven hits, and three earned runs, that would look a lot better, but it still looks pretty good. What doesn't look good is all the flames next to Aaron Savali's name on baseball savant. I mean, both pitching staffs. The Minnesota Twins gave up 12 hard-hit balls. The Cleveland Indians gave up 13 hard-hit balls. Most of those go to Savali. Karinchek gave up one. So, yeah, both teams were hitting some fire shots last night. Uh, the Indians definitely took the top spots when it comes to exit velocity. In fact, the Indians hold five of the top six exit velocities, including the three home runs that the Indians hit last night. Uh, leading the way. Josh Naylor had grounded into a double play at 109.1 miles per hour. That's also on there. Um, so yeah, there was a ton of power on display. There were 15 balls hit last night over 100 mile per hour exit velocity. Hamilton said it was because of the warm weather. He always blames the weather, the temperature down there, progressive field, if the ball's flying or if it's not flying. We'll have to get the sports science team on it. I'm not sure how much of effect that warm weather last night had, but clearly the hitters were locked in and hitting some hard shots last night. But Savali kept it under control. And jumping over to Fangraphs, taking a look at some of his stats here on Fangraphs, 
uh, he definitely got more ground balls than he's gotten all season. His ground ball percentage was up at a 69.2%. The highest had been his great start. His second start against Detroit was a 61.1%. Those are the only two times so far he's been over a 60% ground ball percentage. So yeah, if they're hitting those hard, but they're hitting them at their in- your infielders, you're doing pretty good. And his ground ball to fly ball ratio was at six last night. That is by far the highest that's been all season. The next closest was his third start against the White Sox, which was 2.5 ratio of ground balls to fly balls. So definitely keeping the ball on the ground last night. He did give up the hard hit contact. Uh, Fangraphs has him at 42.3% hard hit, 46.2% medium contact, and only 11.5% soft contact. Uh, Yeah, so... Like we said, we, we know that that he, that he was getting hit hard last night. What pitches was he using last night? Well, of course he was using all his pitches. Uh, 31.3% fastball, down a little bit from previous starts. He's always been in the 30%, but mid-30%, this was his lowest, and brought up the slider. Definitely the most sliders we've seen. 27.3% slider yesterday. The uh, next highest would be his first start, which was only 14% sliders. Cut down on the cutters uh, and threw a few, about the same amount of curveballs, and cut down on the split fingers um, over here, according to fan graphs. And then the plate discipline numbers are always important. It was actually his lowest in the zone contact percentage. So when they swung on pitches in the zone, the Z contact percentage, these are pitches in the zone that the batters are swinging at. They only made contact 85.7% of the time, which is good. His last start against the Yankees, they were at 100% contact, swinging in the zone. They'd been in the 90s for most of the season. 85, that was really good. Uh, he was in the zone the most of his, of, of his five starts so far. 43.4% of his pitches were in the strike zone, and his first pitch strikes percentage was at the highest it's been 70%. So apparently the uh, memo went out to the Indians pitching because I think we saw that with Plesek yesterday, that it was his highest first pitch strike. So the message was out to pound the strike zone early against these guys. And then you can get away and start stretching that zone and getting them to swing away. Uh, So yeah, that's the difference in Aaron Savali so far. That's kind of what he's done over the season and what made last night unique compared to some of his other starts. So yeah, that was the storylines from the game yesterday, and it was a lot of fun. MVP for the day, I gotta go with Fran Mil Reyes, bringing the power to 400-foot monster home runs to the bleachers in left field. Yes, we love when Fermil goes to the opposite field, when he can poke a ball out into right center field for a home run, but man, when he mashes them to left field, when he hits them to the bleachers, he hits them a long, long way. And did it on two different pitches, right? The old adage that the harder it comes in, the harder it goes out. Well, the first one was an 82.3 mile per hour curveball or slider, sorry, slider. He hits it 111.3. The next one was a 91.7 mile per hour fastball. He also hits it at 111.3 miles per hour. So I guess the harder it comes in, not necessarily the harder it goes out. Uh, When Fermil Reyes is swinging the bat, it's going out hard no matter what. 
All right, that is everything from the game yesterday. That is all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me again on this Cleveland baseball morning. We have a chance to sweep today, which is fun to say. You know, they always say you got to beat up on the teams in your division, right? The bottom of your division, you have to beat up on them. That's how you unlock a big season, right? Whether it's beating the Detroit Tigers 16, 17, 18 times in a season, that really, really helps out. Uh, your record and get you into the playoffs. And it might not be Detroit this year. Well, it's probably Detroit this year, but it might not be the Kansas City Royals this year. It might be the Minnesota Twins. I mean, they are really, really struggling. They cannot figure out their bullpen. And outside of the middle of their order, they're struggling too. So it might be the Twins that get beat up on this year for the Indians. That would feel really good after we've really battled with them the last few seasons to really stick it to them in 2021 and uh, drive them to the bottom of the division so we can climb to the top. All right, so yeah, we got a chance for the sweep tomorrow. Uh, It's going to be on YouTube TV, I think. So it's always fun when you get a chance to hear other broadcasters, hear what they think of the Indians and the storylines going on around the team. We hear from Hamilton and Manning and Underwood and Rosie Rosenhaus every day. It's nice to hear a little outside perspective sometimes. If they can get the game game in, because there's chance of rain and thunderstorms all afternoon. So we'll see if this game can even get in. I hope it does. I hope the rain holds off till 4 o'clock. All right. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.